My guest today is Amy Terrell, a licensed mental health counselor, clinical director at EMDR and Beyond, trainer at EMDR Consulting and the Agate Institute. I can't wait for you to hear her expertise about EMDR, but first, a word from my partner. EMDR therapy has become a proven solution for many mental health issues. Boost your skills with EMDR and Beyond's live and online training for EMDR clinicians. Visit healingconfessionals.com backslash beyond to get an exclusive $15 discount on your next EMDR specialty training. Hi, Amy. Welcome. Thank you, Elise. <laughs> okay. Awesome to see you. Awesome to see you as well. Okay, so Amy. Mm-hmm. This is a long-awaited episode for my listeners. <laughs> oh boy, I keep, pressure's on. <laughs> because I keep mentioning EMDR, but I have yet to explain in any detail what it is. Ah, yes. So I thought I would do a whole episode with you, my dear friend, to do that because I tried to do it myself and by myself. And I don't know how people do solo podcasts because I was <laughs> bored listening to myself. <laughs> and I'm actually really interested and passionate about EMDR, so... I think this would yes. be a much better format. Okay, so if you could share a little bit about EMDR, what would you share? Um, for someone who doesn't know anything about EMDR, mm-hmm. what I would explain is that EMDR is a therapy that addresses um, difficult life experiences, adverse life experiences, um, in order to reduce the symptoms that we often see when people come into therapy. Mm-hmm. So, um, it is considered a best practice approach for the treatment of trauma, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people don't quite understand, you know, what is the definition of trauma, and so what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty broad, sure, um, in terms of really anything that overwhelms your ability to cope, and the things that overwhelm our ability to cope vary um, depending on what we've already been through in our life mm-hmm. and um, what uh, strengths we also have and where we are developmentally. Mm-hmm. So EMDR stands for what? Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. So if <laughs> someone has had a traumatic experience, which you mm-hmm. mentioned, it can be varied um, by person to person and also symptom to symptom. They come in for EMDR. Um, What does that look like? So eye movement desensitization reprocessing is quite the mouthful. It is. If we were to boil that down, how would would you do that? Okay. So um, when I'm doing the trainings, I joke with therapists that um, what most people think, if they're, for example, another professional referring a client to you, mm-hmm. what they usually think is that the client's going to sit down in front of you and you're going to start waving your fingers in their face <laughs> and asking them to think about like the worst moment of their life. And mm-hmm. that's not at all, of course, what we do. Mm-hmm. EMDR is eight phases. And um, the first two phases focus on gathering information and history from the client And the second phase focuses on um, stabilization, adding whatever coping skills the client is needing in order to be able to visit the difficult memories, um, the challenging things they've been through. Mm -hmm. And I guess when I say memories, something that I would like to expand on is that um, in a really traditional therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And something that's a little bit different with EMDR um, 
you know, that's different from CBT, mm -hmm. is that with CBT, we're often focused on helping the client identify the thoughts they have that are leading to, for example, their symptoms of anxiety or depression. Yes. With EMDR, we recognize that aspect, but see it just as one component. Mm -hmm. um, what we're really looking at is what are the memories that laid the foundation to having those thoughts. Yeah. And it's the memories that we ultimately um, work on in EMDR Addressing. therapy. So mm -hmm. in the first phase, phase one, we're getting to know the client, we're gathering a lot of history, but we're using um, what we would call our AIP lens. Um, and AIP is the model that EMDR um, is built on. Mm -hmm. and, and AIP stands for what? It stands for Adaptive <laughs> Information Processing. Mm -hmm. And essentially, that is our um, mind's ability to um, survive mm -hmm. and also to adapt. And when we do EMDR, we're always working with really our adaptive mind as well as the neural networks that can contain adversity or trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the AIP also, you said it really well, also taps into our ability to heal those memories. Absolutely. And heal from mm -hmm. that trauma. That's yeah. one of the things that I probably like the most um, about EMDR. Francine Shapiro, really, who is the creator of mm -hmm. EMDR, mm -hmm. felt very strongly that um, we should view the mind in the same way that we view the body, which is that the body is geared towards health. Mm -hmm. And um, so if I have a minor scratch, my body kicks into gear right away, is going to do things um, to try to help that scratch heal. And you don't have to <clears throat> actively try and do that? No, no. The body just knows. The body just knows. And mm -hmm. so we believe the same thing about the mind, that the mind is wired for health, and that's really a, a primary component of the AIP model. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you have a mental cat scratch, yes. the mind, <laughs> the mind, like it. Yes. <laughs> the mind yeah. can heal it without really any effort on our part. Right. Now, if we have a gash in our arm, yes. typically we have to clean it out. We have to go mm -hmm. potentially to the hospital, have a doctor stitch it up, and then your body knows what to do. EMDR is the version, in my eyes, yeah. the stitches, the therapist being the doctor mm -hmm. doing the stitching, and then yes. the body can do what it needs to do. Now, if you leave that gash unattended, yeah, that's where we see a lot of these mental symptoms that... Right can be anything from depression to eating disorders to anxiety mm -hmm. to you name it. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, it will fester. It will fester. Without, without getting the help that we need, mm -hmm. if we have a deeper injury, then it will tend to get worse over time. And mm -hmm. that also is part of AIP, that um, really with EMDR therapy, what we do is we're you know cleaning out the wound and then allowing right. the mind yeah. to have the healing that it needs to, you know, we promote that. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look up EMDR, there are all these wonderful studies saying how, how quickly and effective it can work, mm -hmm. which is completely true. Yes. But you and I also know that sometimes I call them the clients like the death of a thousand cuts clients yes, yes. where maybe they've 
just constantly, even if they weren't what we would think of as quote unquote huge trauma, but they've just had tons of little traumas repeated over time, whether it's related to caretaking or um, just environmental factors of that nature. With those clients, does EMDR look differently than clients with what we might say simple PTSD? Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, what What you're describing, the way that I often view that is sometimes our early childhood, the way um, the caregiving system that we live in and the environment that we're in, if it isn't fostering um, healthy development, then mm-hmm. what happens is as we get older, many of our relationships are challenging and Mm -hmm. we'll have lots of you know symptoms that really you know through a therapeutic lens we can see that it's related to the mirroring that didn't happen when someone was young the regulation the co-regulation that didn't happen from parents um, that sort of thing and unfortunately you're exactly right it's it's harder to work with Mm -hmm. um, because clients that have experienced that usually have multiple um, difficult adverse life experiences in their relationships with others Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you start adding into the mix that they may be more vulnerable to things like big T trauma then they have that Mm -hmm. then you're looking at someone who when they first come in for therapy they have what we would call like small T trauma Mm -hmm. so the types of things that happen um, in relationships with our loved ones that may be abusive, mm-hmm. big T trauma, perhaps some type of abuse they've been through, and then they also have deficits. Mm-hmm. Things that aren't necessarily there in um, the adaptive part of their mind because they haven't had the experiences, say, of feeling protected or feeling nurtured. Mm-hmm. And so it does take longer mm-hmm. um, to work with clients that have multiple adverse life experiences. So usually um, what we're looking at is an ex- a longer period of time in phase two, which mm-hmm. is the preparation phase of EMDR. Mm-hmm. I think of preparation as preparation for EMDR processing. So everything a client needs to know how to do in order mm-hmm. to be able to move through our phase four, which is the desensitization phase. Mm-hmm. And that's where the client is actively thinking about and visiting the difficult memory that they've been through. Mm -hmm. And when we think of that, we know that in preparation, clients have to sometimes have a lot of skills added. Mm -hmm. And And information, too. And information, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, And with more complex trauma, we may integrate other therapies. Like maybe we will do um, some DBT work with the client. I always, when I'm integrating another therapy, I always EMDR it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> and use um, what in EMDR land we call resourcing, um, mm-hmm. which is adding slow short sets of bilateral to... So, so for somebody who doesn't know what that mm-hmm. is, literally it could be tapping from left to right. It could yes. be following fingers from left to right repeatedly. Mm-hmm. It could be beeps in the ears from left to right. Um, it could be walking around the room. <laughs> but yes. just anything that stimulates both left and right side of your body. That's right. Mm-hmm. And in EMDR in phase two, we do slow short sets of that. Mm-hmm. And um, we do that for a few reasons. One is we know that we're often working with people who um, have a very active survival brain. 
-hmm. And so if they have PTSD, you can actually see that on a brain scan. Um, not that we're doing that with our clients here. <laughs> It'd <yet>. be nice. <laughs> it would be yeah. nice. But um, you can often see it physically on a client when they're mm -hmm. um, very hypervigilant, hyperaroused, that sort of thing. And so actively in phase two, we work to counteract that symptom that is very common for people who've been through trauma. Mm -hmm. And the slow, short sets of bilateral do create um, relaxation in the body and the mind. Mm -hmm. And um, there's also uh, some thoughts that it helps accelerate learning. So mm -hmm. when you teach uh, what we might commonly in the mental health field think of as a coping skill, but you add the bilateral, it enhances the learning for the client. Yeah. So things that you might do in phase two to, to resource a client might be, like you said, teaching coping skills. What would be some other things that you might do that would qualify as resourcing in phase two? So um, I think resourcing is really just a term that is stabilization techniques and coping skills yeah. um, that many of us, regardless of our therapeutic lens, do in yes. uh, the mental health community. And the term resourcing, um, to me, really just means that we've added the bilateral to it. Yeah. Um, so preparation is preparation for EMDR processing, but also for life. Mm -hmm. And so we may be adding um, multiple different things that a client may need in order to um, become stable enough to process. So an example of that might be maybe a client is having a lot of those relational challenges. And so mm -hmm. what we might work on in phase two would be learning how to set boundaries and learning the assertiveness skills that go hand in hand with that. Mm -hmm. And then we would add some EMDR techniques to enhance it. So mm -hmm. one thing that I do is after uh, some psychoeducation has been done like that or a skill like that has been taught, mm -hmm. then when the client comes back in, I will do um, the rehearse and rescript, which is very common um, in EMDR therapy. Mm -hmm. So I will ask, um, did you have the opportunity to practice your boundary setting this week? Mm -hmm. And how did it go? Mm -hmm. And if the client had success, then we would do what we sometimes call tapping in, which is just the slow short sets of bilateral, mm -hmm. the client's ability to be able to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, and this is very familiar to a therapist, but somebody who's not a therapist, setting boundaries could simply be something mm -hmm. as simple as saying no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it could be exactly. something as simple as not apologizing when you've done nothing mm -hmm. wrong. Exactly. Or um, what would be some other examples of boundaries that um, our clients struggle with? Yes. Um, not agreeing to do everything mm -hmm. um, when they don't have time to. Mm -hmm. uh, very often if we work on boundaries in therapy, we're thinking of a specific relationship. Yeah, I agree. And working from there. So then we have more concrete examples. Um, right, so perhaps you have a client and you know that their mom is always guilting them into doing things right. and they've got four kids at home and they, they don't have time to help mom and mom's perfectly capable of doing what she needs to do. You would be doing that slow bilateral stimulation as you have them rehearse in their mind how they might say, you know, Mom, I'd love to help, but I can't because little Bobby's got soccer practice or something yes. like that. At some point, it would be added, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So, we covered, well, okay, let's, 
go back to phase one just a little mm-hmm. bit. So history yes. taking. So you said we might be gathering different memories. Um, and you also said, just like CBT, we might be gathering negative thoughts they have about themselves mm-hmm. that might be contributing to their symptoms. Mm-hmm. What might be some other questions we're asking in history taking? So I think a difference too is, yes, we're going to be hearing the negative thoughts, but we're also going to be using um, our EMDR therapy AIP lens, mm-hmm. and we're going to be really curious about what a client's core negative belief about self may be. Mm-hmm. And so during phase one, we're often um, listening for the undertones of that, if not directly. Yeah. Um, and then getting curious about when did they first learn that about themselves. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, a negative belief could be I am unlovable. Yep. And a client may come in and be sharing, you know, a lot of symptoms around feeling rejected and not feeling connected. And when you've done EMDR long enough, you're hearing mm-hmm. that negative belief usually earlier in therapy. And so you're going to start in phase one trying to understand what laid the foundation for this um, mm-hmm. negative belief that the client has. So the way I think of that sometimes is what planted the seed and then what has continued to grow. So maybe yes, yeah. like as, as a youth, um, what planted the seed of I'm unlovable is some kind of failed interaction or repeated failed interaction with a caregiver. Mm-hmm. And then maybe in third grade, they also had difficulty in social situations. And then yes. in high school, they felt like an outcast. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes all of those different events are isolated from each other and sometimes they're connected without the client even realizing it. Yes, exactly. So often people have a negative belief that forms when they're young mm-hmm. and then they have experiences that at least through the lens of the client seem to endorse that yes. negative belief. Yeah. Um, it's like, see, see? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so because sometimes it can be very painful to do this in-depth work. That's mm-hmm. why we're often doing a back and forth in phase one and two. So rarely do we just exclusively get all the information. Like At this once. Is phase one. Yep. Usually um, as we're going through the process, you know, that like I do a genogram, for example, yeah. um, to start gathering more information early on in my work with the client. But then I may start to balance that with resourcing, which mm-hmm. is technically phase two of EMDR, in order to make that process more tolerable yes. for the client. And I also think, too, you can, again, you get kind of a trained ear, but you also get a sense for what is maybe some psychoeducation. Psychoeducation would be mm-hmm. an, another thing that you might be doing in the resourcing phase in terms mm-hmm. of sometimes you have clients come in and they say, I know such and such person was a creep. Um, But I still feel like it was my fault, but I know it's not my fault. And then sometimes you have clients that come in and they just say, oh, it was all my fault. If I hadn't been such a rotten kid, my dad wouldn't have had to be so so physical with me or something. And so in that instance, we would know, okay, there's missing information in terms about like what kids are responsible for and they're not responsible for. Whereas Mm -hmm. that example number one, you don't necessarily have to do that additional Mm -hmm. education. Yeah. I think that's part of what we're looking for is Mm -hmm. we want to see if there are any deficits like what you just described Mm -hmm. Um, because if so we want to address it and there's many ways if we're thinking um, of more like 
basic EMDR. It can be yes. psychoed. There's also some really advanced techniques where um, we would do, like, for example, Ana Gomez has a needs meeting protocol. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and many, you know, many other um, EMDR therapists have uh, worked really hard to come up with ways to address those sorts of things, like the deficits and unmet needs. And that's often something we would do in phase two mm-hmm. before we move into processing. <clears throat> so what would you say are some basic, and I know this is a loaded question, but what would you no say way. are some <gasps> basic, <laughs> some basic skills that clients have that you know that you feel ready to move on to pay phase three or four? And I know mm-hmm. the longer you do EMDR, you just mm-hmm. kind of have more of a feel for it. But what yeah. are what are some boxes you're kind of yeah. looking to check where you feel like, okay, I feel relatively confident we can move on to the sure. next phase? Well, there are specific markers that we look for. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to see that the client has the ability to maintain dual awareness Which means? That means that they have, um, at times, been able to talk about things that happened in the past, um, but yet they stay present, meaning they don't seem to disconnect and be living in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to make sure that a client has the ability to have a state shift, Mm -hmm. so that they can go from feeling upset to feeling back to Somewhat relatively normal. centered, not that, yeah. you know, some, if it was a big emotion, it might linger a little bit, but you're not concerned about right. how they're going to do when they leave your office. Mm-hmm. Um, so we look for the ability to maintain um, dual awareness, the ability to have a state shift. Um, and that's, it's okay if clients need a little bit of help getting there, mm-hmm. but that you see that they can do it. Yes. Um, we look for that. Also look for, um, does the client really have the ability to um, have the dual attention? So that's why, one of the reasons why in preparation phase two, we often add the bilateral. We want to know, does the client have the ability basically to um, think of something and in preparation is typically positive and follow along with my hand or notice the taps um, Mm -hmm. so they have the capacity to yeah do that which can some, take a little bit of work yeah. yeah some clients do the second they mm-hmm. walk in your door and some takes a yeah. long time yes. to get them there some other yeah. things i look for is um some acknowledgement and understanding of what they have what they're going to work on so mm-hmm. you know some Usually we've done what we would call a targeting sequence plan, Mm -hmm. and that's technically part of phase one, but we're often, like I said, going back and forth in phase one and two doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am looking for, are they able to state, this is a thing that happened to me and I'm ready to address it. Yeah. Um, That's another thing. And I can... I can feel the emotions about it and not Mm -hmm. shut down or get so upset that I can't function. That's right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, by the time we get to processing, um, typically we're asking clients to think about and to visit a memory that they may have spent most of their life trying not to think about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. so we really want to make sure, and I mean, not always, you know, sometimes it's, it, 
we may be working on memories that aren't that um, traumatic mm -hmm. for the client. Or so disturbing. Or, or so disturbing. But mm -hmm. often, that's yeah. one of the things that we're going to do with a client, um, one of the targets on their targeting sequence plan. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that, like you said, they have the ability to feel whatever comes up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes that means preparation is a little bit longer because sometimes part of what we do in preparation is we have to help clients be able to tolerate and manage their emotions, mm -hmm. whether it's good or bad. So yeah. some clients have a hard time with positive affect. Some clients have a hard time with, you know, quote unquote yes. negative, quote unquote. <laughs> and I'm always like, I know they're not good or bad feelings, yeah. but you know, how do we talk about it casually? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Pleasant or unpleasant. Yes. And thank you. <laughs> um, but that they can um, manage whatever yeah. comes up and that they're willing to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for example, sometimes you might have a client that is very comfortable being tearful and crying, mm -hmm. and then you get into processing and you realize they're not comfortable being angry. Right. Yes. <laughs> and so yeah. sometimes that's, it's not necessarily a box I go through and check. I'm like, well, sir, are you comfortable feeling angry? But you're kind of watching for that. Like, yes. are they, if there's some something that you think, okay, typically that would make me angry, and they're mm -hmm. very much shying away from that, that's just kind of a note that a therapist might make in the back of their head that, like, okay, they might have some feelings about the feeling of anger that right. we also have to work yes. through in and order for them to be able to mm -hmm. successfully process this. Which is um, one of the things that, is interesting about EMDR is that then we're always asking the question and you know when did you first learn that it wasn't okay to feel angry mm -hmm. and sometimes we may say that as an interweave in EMDR or it might be something if we noticed it earlier and thought it was significant enough that we you work talk on about it beforehand two. yeah yeah so They've, they've checked all the boxes. We think we've done mm -hmm. our due diligence yeah. in phase mm -hmm. one and two. Yep, we've screened for dissociation. We've screened for dissociation. Yeah. I'm trying to think, did I hit all the markers yeah. when we were discussing Well, it. and let's and, do just yeah. a quick description of dissociation because I think a lot of people have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I think a lot, you know, I think, so even mental health professionals, I think part of that is because we don't all agree on what it is. True. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, a lot of people that have different fields of thought on it. What The way that I can understand it just for myself and for my clients is um, I do think we have a bit of a continuum. Mm -hmm. And that it starts, you know, on the low end of that, we see daydreaming, kind of getting lost in a TV episode. Um, many people can relate to having the experience of driving and then suddenly realizing, you know, you've passed your exit or you've mm -hmm. gone, you know. Or you got home. Or you got home and oh, yeah. you don't remember, yes. remember the drive. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and to more moderate, which w we might see um, different parts of self that mm -hmm. um, may at times seem to hold more of the emotion or maybe activated under stress. Mm -hmm. And then the um, more severe end of that would be a dissociative diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, so. so the moderate, <laughs> let's talk yeah. about the moderate dissociation because okay. yeah. I think that's probably what um, we see a lot of. We see a lot mm -hmm. of and or people are perhaps experiencing themselves and don't even realize mm -hmm. they're experiencing it. Yeah. So what would that look like 
either in the therapy room or just regular life mm -hmm. where somebody's moderately dissociated. Just like an I example think, with that. You know, an example that we have in the basic training um, has to do with the like overly harsh or overbearing supervisor. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, a lot of people can relate to having, you know, and they may not know until they've had some good therapy that this is why it's connected. But for example, maybe they had a harsh parent when they were young. Mm -hmm. Now in their career, um, they have challenges. And when they get like an email from a supervisor saying, um, hey, let's meet, we need to meet at three. Yeah. They, in their mind, hear that in a harsh way and automatically maybe assume that it's going to be a meeting that is critical in nature. Mm -hmm. And so that is... Um, they start sweating. They start... Yeah, they, <laughs> they start, have a They response. get flooded. Yeah, they have a response that's maybe not necessarily fully connected in the present day. Mm -hmm. um, and they may even feel, like if they look back on it, they may feel um, a little younger in their mm -hmm. response. Mm -hmm. um, they may not feel like their highest self if they yeah. reflect back on that. And that would be, and again, this is something that not um, in the mental health community, we don't all agree on this definition. I would see that as sort of a segregated ego state, um, mm -hmm. which is a form of dissociation, but not um, falling on the continuum of severe where someone would have um, like DID. Yeah. They're aware of it. They're aware of it. They're they they are seeing themselves there they feel as though they are mm -hmm. participating on the very extreme end of dissociation that would be where somebody is acting in a certain way and they do not remember right. an hour later because yes. an ego state comes forward and their their highest self takes a step back and takes a little yeah. nap yes. for, that's how i would for a lack yes. of a better yeah. description <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, okay, that's very helpful. So, yeah, we checked for dissociation. We checked for can they tolerate emotion. Mm -hmm. um, we've we've got a pretty good history, pretty good idea of what 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 they're struggling with, mm -hmm. what memories we're targeting on our target sequence plan. Now we're moving into the assessment phase, mm -hmm. which is what phase three. Okay, so phase three um, is uh, assessment, also known as access activate, and mm -hmm. so originally. Um, Francine Shapiro called this the assessment phase, and it was actually the first time that we were um, getting the memory mm -hmm. and then assessing it right there on the spot. Many of us now have a targeting sequence plan in place. We've um, already kind of checked in with the client typically about um, you know what their negative and positive belief might be that goes along with that event. And then now in Access Activate, what we're doing is we're intentionally accessing that memory. Mm -hmm. um, we are bringing some uh, specific components of the memory to mind, like the worst part of it mm -hmm. with the client. And then we do a little bit of an assessment, a measurement. So mm -hmm. we're measuring um, how disturbing or upsetting the negative belief is along with the memory. From um, zero to 10. From zero to 10, where zero mm -hmm. is no disturbance and 10 is the most disturbing thing they can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, we're asking about the emotions that they feel as they think of the event. Mm -hmm. We are checking in about the positive belief, which is typically the opposite of the negative belief. So for example, they might have a negative belief. So let's just use a memory of, um, we'll do something kind of benign. Freezing when giving a book report 
Yeah. In third grade. Okay. And maybe their negative belief. Thanks, that Elise. That you're welcome. to be one of my most <laughs> difficult <laughs> So. Exactly why I was nervous about this interview. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps that planted the seed mm-hmm. or was another branch on the plant. Right. Of, um, I'm a failure. I'm right. a loser. Mm-hmm. And then you might say, when you look, think back to that memory in the future, how would you rather be able to feel about yourself? Right. And the positive belief might be something like, I did the best I could. I learned from it. I'm okay mm-hmm. just as I am. Yes. Beautiful. That's exactly <laughs> okay. right. I'm okay just as I am. And, That's right. Um, <laughs> you, yes. are. you are. You <laughs> are. Um, yeah. So in Access Activate, we're bringing the memory to mind. We've usually decided what memory we're going to work on. Mm-hmm. We're checking in about what's the worst part of it for the client. We're measuring how true the positive belief feels to them now mm-hmm. on a scale of one to seven. And we always make it clear that they may know cognitively. Right. They may know cognitively, like, third grade me was pretty cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but when they think about it um, and they really let themselves be there in the moment of mm-hmm. third grade as they sit in your office, it may not feel true that I'm okay just as I am, right. even if they know third grade them was pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> and that is another really important um, component of EMDR, which is, and, and we do in the assessment check-in about it, EMDR isn't just looking at the thoughts that we have about ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. We're also, in terms of memory, looking at how it's stored in the body, mm-hmm. the story that the body tells, um, and the emotions. So mm-hmm. we're interested in all of the memory, and that's what we're assessing in Access Activate, and what we're essentially activating because we're going to move right into processing after we ask those questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope you've enjoyed the interview thus far. Are you a therapist looking to boost your skills in EMDR therapy? EMDR and Beyond provides live and online training for EMDR clinicians. EMDR is the most researched therapy for PTSD and can provide healing for complex trauma, depression, anxiety, and a variety of other symptoms. With EMDR and Beyond's training, you will increase your toolbox of skills and provide more effective EMDR therapy for your clients. Visit HealingConfessionals.com backslash beyond to get an exclusive $15 discount on any upcoming EMDR and Beyond training. Now let's get back to Amy. So um, after we've done the measurements and we remind clients that they have a stop sign they can use at any point if they want to stop EMDR, mm-hmm. that we're going to ask them to hold in mind the memory and um, their negative belief and to follow along with our hands or whatever form we're using. Yep. Um, I really like to use old school EMDR eye movements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Follow my hand. I'm a so buzzy. I use that a lot. <laughs> yep. I like the buzzies. <laughs> yeah. And um, then as soon as you do that, then you've moved now into um, phase four, which mm-hmm. is the desensitization phase. So we access and we activated them. I often explain this as kind of like the access and activate is like the on-ramp onto the interstate. Yes. And phase four, so phase three is yep. we're driving on the on-ramp, and phase four, we're now on the interstate. That is your trauma. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun trauma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure is. Sometimes the scenery's yes. not, not great, yes. but... Yeah. That, that's kind of a way kid, yeah, that's um, a great analogy. clients mm-hmm. can think of it. So once they're on the interstate, yep. what are we asking them to do while they're doing their mm-hmm. bilateral? Assuming that we're doing 
EMDR unrestricted mm -hmm. uh, because there's different modalities. Mm -hmm. uh, but assuming we're doing unrestricted, we're asking a client to allow their mind to go wherever it goes mm -hmm. without trying to guide or interpret it. Mm -hmm. And then to just report back to us what they're noticing. Mm -hmm. And um, it can take a while for the free association to really get flowing. Mm -hmm. um, but when it does, it ideally is going to look like you're going to hear things connected to the memory you're working on. Mm -hmm. And you're going to, if you're doing unrestricted, you're going to also hear other things that are probably on the targeting sequence plan, or at least yeah. parts of it. Potentially other memories. Yes, other yep. memories, other situations. Um, they may report emotions that they're feeling. Mm -hmm. They may report um, things that to you in the time as a therapist don't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, for yeah. instance, I'm seeing a purple box yes. and there's lightning striking it. Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And mm -hmm. um, at that point, our job as the therapist is to, <clears throat> just to continue to support the client and guide guide um, that the free association. So to keep mm -hmm. encouraging the free association, um, we're going to check in about uh, every 25 to 30 seconds, essentially. Mm -hmm. And we're going to ask the client to take a breath and let it go and share with us what they're noticing Pretty much whatever they say, we say go with that, mm -hmm. unless um, we've been hearing the same thing a few times. Yeah, if mm -hmm. we sense that they're stuck on the interstate, they've come yes. to a stop, Yes, <laughs> then we know we either need to give them some gas or we maybe um, need to air up the tires. Exactly. <laughs> yes. This is just a silly metaphor, yes. but we might have to give them information mm -hmm. or we might have to ask them a follow-up question or we might take them back to the on-ramp to kind of get them going again. Yeah, I think it depends um, it does. what's yeah. happening and what you know of your client. I tend to think two and something new. So if I hear the same thing um, or it's basically the same thing twice, mm -hmm. then I might switch up um, the direction of eye mm -hmm. movements or I might switch to say tapping instead of eye movements just to see if that, because our whole goal is to just keep processing going. Yes. Um, and we want to, in that, we're hoping to see therapeutic shifts, too. Mm -hmm. So we're also looking for that as this goes along. And our goal is actually to do as little intervention as possible. Exactly. So yeah. I think when, you know, if you think of it in terms of surgery, you don't want your surgeon making any unnecessary cuts. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that is kind of yeah. similar to EMDR mm -hmm. in the sense that, like, we really trust your brain and body to do what it needs to Absolutely. do. And we mm -hmm. only intervene if we we think something's preventing it from doing that. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think probably initially when people first start doing EMDR, they're like, really, you're just going to sit there and say, go with that? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> go with that. Go with that. <laughs> Where do you feel yes. that in your body? <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I think that's important for people mm -hmm. to know that really our goal is to stay out of the way because we trust that your brain and body knows what it's doing. Exactly. And this is the what what is happening in the mind is something mm -hmm. that continues to, um, I'd say, be debated and researched in the yeah. MDR community. Um, there's a lot of different fields of thought. Um I tend to think it's probably a little bit of um, what many people look at exclusively. Yeah, <laughs> like I think so too. Like a lot of those components. Yeah. Um, so 
what I always remind myself of when um, I'm processing with someone is that the work is happening internally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the fields of thought is that um, desensitization replicates REM sleep. Mm -hmm. And it allows um, the mind to... REM sleep being rapid eye movement mm -hmm. sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And that it actually um, allows a client to uh, basically internally, there's the desensitization that happens Mm -hmm. in the mind. And then at that point, things are moved from what we might, and I know that neuroscientists would... Cringe. Die. Yeah. <laughs> this. But a way to think of it is it's being moved from for us working. lowly therapists. <laughs> yes. It's being moved from working to long-term memory, which is important because working memory feels as if it's happening now. It feels so, very fresh. Yes. And mm-hmm. so that's something that I think is interesting too when we think of our measurements. Because when we measure um, in the access activate assessment base. When we take that measurement of how disturbing or upsetting is it to you now on a mm-hmm. scale of 0 to 10, that's partly what we're measuring. We're measuring how this memory is stored in the mind. Yes. Because something that happens to me that doesn't overwhelm my ability to cope, I can recall the details of it most of the time. And, <laughs> and I can also reflect on how I felt at the time. Mm-hmm. Something that is traumatic or overwhelms our ability to cope. When we reflect on it, we don't necessarily have those nice, neat details. And also, the way that we feel isn't in past tense. We've, it's now. We have a very strong visceral reaction in the moment. In the moment. Yep. And so that is something that I think makes EMDR very different than other therapies. Mm-hmm. And um, so in this phase of EMDR, What's, act, what's happening is that desensitization is happening, which then is allowing the mind mm-hmm. to store the memory Where in the belongs. way that it would have mm-hmm. if the ability to cope hadn't been overwhelmed at the time. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is that we check back in, you know, with, without going into the, all the ins and outs of when we do, there are specific times when mm-hmm. we will check in with a client about how disturbing or upsetting it is. And... In the beginning, we may see the subjective unit of disturbance (laughs) go up, (laughs) and other times it'll go down. But overall, what what typically happens is it will continue to go down over time. And so that's the in the assessment phase when we ask the zero to ten. So Mm -hmm. we we get on the interstate and we're doing some bilateral. Um, When we started, it was a seven. Maybe if we asked shortly thereafter, it might have bumped up to an eight because you've really accessed and activated and you're really really thinking about the memory. Um, But over time, the further you go on the interstate, if EMDR is going as as it should, we should start seeing that number come down from a seven and Mm -hmm. further and further down. The more... Um, all the different components of the memory are processed, whether it be the emotions or the body sensations, the images, the thoughts, Mm -hmm. etc. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, let's, where do we go from there? So, somebody, we've done unrestricted, they've Mm -hmm. maybe stayed with the same memory, they've bounced around some Mm -hmm. different memories, we've checked in on the suds, it's come down, um, how do you know when you're done with a targeted memory as the therapist? Well, 
I think it helps to understand that the overall goal of EMDR really is integration. Mm-hmm. What we're looking for is um, what Vander Kolk would say is the client knows what they know and feel what they feel. Mm-hmm. And that's really integration. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking for, you know, those difficult adverse life experiences to be integrated with their adaptive mind and also um, to be in the mind in a way that isn't causing current day distress. So I, you brought a good point to mind. So we're processing through all of the, the hard things about mm-hmm. the memory, but what's also happening along the way is clients are often having insights oh, yeah. that they yeah. didn't recognize before. Yes. So um, it might be a realization that, oh, well, that, that day in third grade was really terrible, mm-hmm. but I actually won the talent show that year. Yeah. Like different things like that might kind of come into their consciousness yes. that wasn't able to because of where the memory was stored previously. And exactly. as it starts moving into, you know, the long-term memory mm-hmm. where it has more access to all that information, right? that helpful or adaptive information mm-hmm. also gets linked in with that memory. Yes. And so it's really when they've processed through it mm-hmm. that you start hearing those adaptive yes. connections. And that's also one of the things that we're looking for. So yep. as the EMDR therapist, when I start hearing more and more of the adaptive, then I know, okay, therapeutic shifts are happening. Mm-hmm. Now this is looking more like integration. And integration isn't always lovely. No. You know, it's yeah. sometimes it's tough and it's messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It is that um, benefit of clients being able to now, they can reflect on the memory and they see it with maybe a more adaptive lens. Mm -hmm. And they're also not feeling um, triggered or emotionally distressed by it when they think of it now. Mm -hmm. So what would be an example of a messy integration? (laughs) A messy but healthy integration. Well, I think sometimes... You know, especially if we're working, say, with adults through early childhood stuff, mm-hmm. sometimes part of integration is uh, grieving for maybe the childhood they didn't have, mm-hmm. um, an acceptance maybe to their own parents' limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not as if... It's all rainbows. Yeah, it's not as if processing is, oh, and then... You know, I did win the spelling bee all the time. Sometimes it is some of that, which is awesome and needed. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's also, I really just get now that, you know, my... Dad just wasn't capable. Wasn't capable. Yeah. And, you know, then sometimes you hear adaptive weaved in too, Mm -hmm. you know, to that. But sometimes, yeah, yeah, it is. Well, what I really feel now is sadness for Mm -hmm. my little self. Because I had to live in that environment for so long. That's integration. Yes, it is. Sadness for my little self. And then it's not uncommon at all to also feel sadness for your little self and then feel sad for maybe the dad and the trauma that he went through, which then prevented him from being the dad to you that you needed him to be. So that's where we say, like, it it can be very messy, but it can also be very healing and healthy to kind of face reality Mm -hmm. um but not in a harsh way like in a very loving and accepting way of all involved yeah exactly (laughs) yes and what's so fun for me as a therapist is it's not me having to like tell them like oh you should feel empathy for 
such and such person. Yes. Like it usually is just like a natural well result of healing. I think um, something that I've noticed with EMDR is sometimes we do tell clients that, right? Sometimes, sometimes we do. We feel sometimes like, we have to help. You know, or other people have, mm-hmm. right? In preparation, mm-hmm. we might do some psychoed over like uh, like if there was a parent that was an alcoholic, what, what that meant for them, what yes. their addiction may have looked like, what could have contributed to that. We may do that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's so powerful to me about EMDR is, you know, I think of the classic example of uh, an adult in therapy who experienced child abuse. Their negative belief is this happened because I'm bad. Even mm-hmm. though they have all kinds of cognitive knowledge and ability yes. and understanding that it's never a child's fault they're abused. Right. But because of how it's stored in the mind, because the negative belief that was formed at the time is I'm bad, they still hold on to that. Mm-hmm. And then um, they have they know on one level. They do. Right? That, yeah. And they'll even say to you, oh, I know, I know. It is never a child's fault. But I was really especially naughty, right? Uh-huh. And then in... EMDR, when we're starting to move towards integration, they will say it in such a different way. They so will. it may be the thing they've heard. It may be the thing that you tried to help them with. Mm-hmm. But when they say it now, they actually feel it. Yes. And you can tell mm-hmm. that it's different. Yeah. When they say, there's no way this was my fault. I can't believe I ever thought this happened because I was bad. Yeah. Yeah, and it's powerful. It is. And it's, I think people can really relate to getting your heart and your head on the same page. And I think EMDR does that beautifully. I do. It can really help get your head and heart on the same page Mm -hmm. where it's like, I know these things over here, but I continue to do these things or I continue to feel these things despite knowing. Like, for for example, it could be something like, um, I know my husband is a loving, caring guy, but when he is... um, watching the football game or something and tuning me out I just I just feel enraged and sad and I go shut myself in the bedroom but I know he's not trying to hurt me yeah <laughs> kind of thing. right yeah um and they may or may not have connected it to some child experience childhood experience they had mm-hmm. of being ignored but right. then once they finish processing pretty soon maybe their husband watching football is annoying but it's no longer so wounding yes, in the moment it's not so emotionally activating mm-hmm. i also think that's a really good example of the type of dissociation we were talking about earlier yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> yes absolutely okay so we get through phase 4 what is mm-hmm. phase 5 what is space? No, phase five is where we are checking in with the client about that adaptive belief, the positive belief. Mm-hmm. So um, we check in about how valid that mm-hmm. belief feels to them now mm-hmm. um, after they've processed through the memory that we were working on as much as they can. Mm-hmm. We really hope to help people get to zero or we may decide it's ecologically sound. Um, Mm -hmm. then we say to the client, as you hold in mind the memory we've been working on and your positive belief, and we restate the positive belief, Mm -hmm. how true does that positive belief feel to you now on a scale of one to seven? And yes. (laughs) Seven. (laughs) Often it it is a seven, um, but sometimes it may start out a little lower. And Mm -hmm. once, so once we've moved into the processing phase in terms of bilateral, we're going fast yes. all the way 
through the rest of the processing phases. So mm -hmm. it, the sets are shorter, but the bilateral is still fast in this phase. Mm -hmm. And um, oftentimes clients will continue to make more adaptive connections. Mm -hmm. And um, we go until hopefully we get to seven, mm -hmm. and then we move to phase six. Which is? <laughs> Which is the body scan. Yes. And so this is where we ask the client to hold in mind the memory and their positive belief, and we restate the positive belief, and then we ask them to check in with the body. I usually say to my clients, start at the top of your head, move all the way down to the tips of your toes, and let me know if you notice any pain or, or sensation anywhere in your body. Mm -hmm. And if they report something, we say notice that, and again, we're doing the fast bilateral, but the set is shorter. Mm -hmm. This is an important, um, I, I mean, they're all important steps, yes. but I think something about this phase that, um, you know, it's the phase can go pretty quickly. So sometimes yeah. I think as EMDR therapists, we may overlook the importance of it, mm -hmm. but we're doing a few things. So we're processing through any remaining somatic memory that mm -hmm. may be there, but then we're also checking in with the body and asking the question essentially do you agree do you agree yeah so think of you know the positive belief for example i am lovable mm -hmm. so we're asking say you know say to yourself i am lovable and then notice your body because if your body doesn't agree you will feel something you will yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh and so then we process through that mm-hmm and that may mean um Sometimes, so we talked about, sometimes you move back and forth through the phases. Sure. And sometimes if you get really stuck, so to be clear, we've processed through just one memory or potentially mm -hmm. several others that happen to be on, on that interstate. Yes. But sometimes, like if you have a body scan, I'm, I am lovable, and you have a big reaction and we continue to do the fast mm -hmm. bilateral, sometimes that means we have to go yeah. back to phase four and clear out more memories. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that, it can be connected to other memories. Yeah. That have that. So just yeah. to be clear for people that yeah. they're like, oh, I failed, EMDR. <laughs> <laughs> Not the case. No. <laughs> just means there's more work to be done. Exactly. But a lot of times, if you have them hold that specific memory that they worked through in that session in mind, mm -hmm. you can get the body scan cleared, even yes. if you haven't cleared all of the related memories. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. And then once the body scan is clear, so meaning the body feels good and or neutral, mm -hmm. um, we move on to phase eight. <laughs> well, so we move to, technically we have closure. Yes. Um, but we do, and that's phase seven, which mm -hmm. we do um, at really the end of every therapy session. So it's sure. a little confusing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> and, and closure is always um, containment and regulation. Mm -hmm. So um, depending where we are, you know, in what phase, we're basically helping the client to um, feel contained, mm -hmm. to set aside what they've been working on and to get back to... Um, a sort of centered state of mind. So how I describe it is, can they zip themselves back up yes, and yeah. go walk out into the world yes. and function? Right. And like you said, sometimes, like it's not uncommon for people to be tired after EMDR oh, or just, you know, be mm -hmm. a little emotionally yeah. raw, but um, mm -hmm. we don't want them to be like falling apart and miserable right. and, you know, needing to self-soothe mm -hmm. right. in destructive ways or yeah. that mm -hmm. kind of thing. 
Yeah. I'd say the most common thing I hear is that people are exhausted mm-hmm. afterwards, especially when they first begin processing, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then, yes, then phase eight is reevaluation. And that is where um, essentially we're looking towards integration. Mm-hmm. So we may be looking at now um, some additional th- psychotherapy that may be needed for full integration mm-hmm. um, or we're end or end we're also looking yeah. at what's next mm-hmm. so if we did unrestricted say we had a targeting sequence plan and we did unrestricted processing some of the things on the targeting sequence plan may no longer need to be specifically processed mm-hmm. because um, EMDR can have a generalized um, effect mm-hmm. but we check so in. for example mm-hmm. you do the memory in third grade and you happen to before you did when you were doing your history taking mm-hmm. and you created your target sequence plan, you also had a memory from ninth grade, 10th grade, and when you were 35. Mm-hmm. And after doing that third grade memory, now when you go back to ask about those memories, they no longer feel traumatic to the, that person. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, you're deciding with the client where mm-hmm. to go next, mm-hmm. what's next on the targeting sequence plan, and what to process next. Mm-hmm. Which is a very fun process. Yes, it is. Yeah. So if you were to um, put a bow on EMDR or just the process or um, anything about EMDR, what would you say about it? I would say that I think um, EMDR is the best way that I know how to help clients. Mm-hmm. Um be able to no longer feel as if um, they have to live in the past, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to help clients move to um, optimal mental health, Mm -hmm. and to have really full integration of their experiences. I love it. That's quite the endorsement. Yes, well, I'm a big fan. (laughs) Me too, me too. As a fellow EMDR therapist, I approve your statement. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thank you. It was very good.